going to give you all a pop quiz. All right, so it is a group effort. Feel free to just call out the answers if you know them. What are the four core values of Redeemer? Robert, don't look over there. <laughs> all right, well, now that we've got the guy who, you know, helped you all cheat and pass the test, so... Uh, yes, uh, the four values of Redeemer are Christ, character, community, and commission. And so um, if, you sit, if you sit down and read through the entire book of First Peter, you will see each of these being drawn out. Uh, so I've got a, a slide with, uh, um, with our definitions of, of them. Um, and uh, Christ... Uh, every re everything Redeemer does should reflect Christ. He receives the glory from our actions. Character, a collection of people who are transformed and filled by the Holy Spirit, results in Christ-centered character. Community, Christ said the world will know him by our love for one another. Our unity as one people in Christ exposes the culture around us to the beauty of the gospel. Commissioned, Christ commissioned his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. A church who is Christ-centered is driven to fulfill Christ's commissions by reflecting Christ with evangelism, character, and community. So if you were to go back and read through all of 1 Peter, you would see each of these being highlighted. And in fact, I encourage you this week, I'll give you a little bit of homework. Go back through 1 Peter, and if you've got four different colored pens or, or highlighters, just Underline, highlight the different areas throughout First Peter where he does highlight Christ, uh, and he does talk about our character in light of Christ, where he talks about community as well as commission. Each of these are going to be highlighted throughout First Peter. Our text this evening, First uh, Peter chapter two, verses eighteen through twenty-five, we are going to be focusing in on both Christ and character, and the kind of character that we are to have in light of Christ. So with that said, if you want to turn uh, in your Bibles, in your apps, um, to 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, I've got the text up here. I am going to be reading from the CSB translation. Uh, so in comparing the CSB and the ESV, um, so I know we typically do the ESV, there were just some of, the way, some of the words, some of the phrases that the CSB translated that I really appreciated. Uh, so I just wanted to um, just like the way uh, it was worded. So I've got it up here. Feel free to read along in your preferred version. Uh, that is perfectly fine as well. So the Apostle Peter writes, Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if, because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So that, having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. 
but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And this is the word of the Lord. So let's pray. God, we come before you this day, and we just ask that your Holy Spirit would be here to open our eyes. Father, I ask that um, you would silence me um, so that only your words are spoken. God, speak to us uh, this evening that you would convict us, that you would challenge us and encourage us to live out lives that display the glory of Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you would just take this time to glorify yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Peter begins in verse 18, household slaves. He is directing this portion to a specific group of people, to um, slaves, to servants that are in their master's house, not just any Um, Not just any group, but specifically household slaves. And then he tells them, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. This should cause us to pause and kind of say, like, really, Peter, you want us to submit in all reverence, even to the cruel ones? The the term that uh, is translated here as cruel can be translated as wicked as twisted, as perverse, as unjust, um, as crooked. So these are really not good people. So, and Peter is telling, hey, you work in, these, in this house of this wicked person, of this cruel person, of this unjust person, and you are to submit to them in all reverence. And he says all reverence, not just, you know, platitudes to their face, go back to the servants' quarters, and then criticize them behind their back. No, submit to your masters with all reverence, all respect, all the time. And the reason why, we see in the next verse, for it brings favor if, because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. So I find it, I, I find it helpful for me personally to kind of read this backwards. So, If you suffer unjustly and you endure the grief because of a consciousness of God, so thinking about God, dwelling on God, if you do that, then that brings favor. The word favor that the CSB translates, other translations might translate it as blessing or this is a gracious thing. The idea behind it is a gift or blessing brought to man by Jesus Christ. So, if you are suffering unjustly, and you endure that suffering, and you have a consciousness of God in the midst of that suffering, this brings a gift or blessing from Jesus Christ. Really? Enduring suffering is a gift? Is a blessing? So, Peter will elaborate, but he kind of uh, repeats himself here. He just emphasizes it more. For what credit is there if, when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. So yes, when you do what is good, you have a consciousness of God. 
Your mind is focused on God. You are dwelling on God. You're thinking about God, and you're living your life in a way that glorifies God, and you do good in the household of your crooked, of your cruel, of your wicked master. And if that results in suffering and you endure it, you don't fight back, you don't retaliate, you don't seek vengeance, you don't grumble and complain, you endure it, again, with a mindset that is focused on God, this brings favor with God, this brings a blessing with God. And as we read this, I know for me, my initial reaction to this would be something like, all right, I think you're smoking something, Peter, because that's just, I mean, that's just crazy talk. I've been there at work. I've been there um, around other people that um, have been unkind, have been cruel, have uh, not been pleasant to be around. And my natural inclination is to, with other people, when they're not there, gripe and complain and grumble and to not have this attitude. That is the natural inclination of my heart. And Peter is saying, no, don't do that. Endure the suffering. How many of you, I want to see a show of hands, how many of you would say that you felt called to salvation, that you felt Jesus' call to repent of your sins and follow Christ? Show of hands. All right. <clears throat> now, how many of you have felt called to love someone who was kind of difficult to love? Like you had somebody in your life who just wasn't all that great to be around? All right. How many of you have felt called into service, serving the church in some capacity, whether it is to be in the ministry, whether it is to, um, <clears throat> you know, serve waiting tables, however it is. So how many of you have felt called? All right. How many of you have felt called to suffer? <laughs> All right. He felt called to suffer. All right. So <clears throat> Peter goes on to say, for you were called to this. You were called to endure suffering. That is your calling. You were called to walk out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You were called to repent of sins and to follow Jesus Christ. And you were called to endure suffering. So that is your calling. That is not quite the marketing term that we want to, to go about follow Jesus Christ and you get to endure suffering. Yeah, that's, that's not a great marketing slogan, but that's what Peter is saying here is that is what we are called to do. Why, Peter? Why? Why are we called to do this? Well, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So Christ also suffered, and he is our example, and we are to follow him. That is why we are called to endure suffering. And then the next couple of verses, uh, Peter highlights the example here. So he says, he, Jesus, did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. This is the example. Jesus did not sin. He did no wrong. He only did good. He only followed God, and yet he suffered. And in the midst of that suffering, no deceit was found in his mouth. That is quite the contrast to Peter when Christ was taken to be crucified, and Peter is standing off in the distance, and somebody comes up and says, hey, 
weren't you with that man? No, no I wasn't with him. Yeah, no, 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 no. You, yeah, I still remember seeing you with him. I have no idea what you're talking about. And then a third time, he denies Christ. Deceit was in Peter's mouth at that time. He, was being, he had an opportunity to be good. He had an opportunity to potentially endure suffering. But instead, Peter ran away from that. On the other hand, Christ, when he is standing before his judges and the people that were wanting to condemn him, they accused him, have you called yourself the son of God? And he said two words, I am. And then which sent them into a rage because not only was he calling himself the son of God, he was calling himself God. So Jesus responded and no deceit was in his mouth. He committed no sin and he didn't suffer. And yet he, and he committed no sin, no deceit was in his mouth, and yet he suffered. And when he was insulted, he did not insult in return, which I know for me, that is a real challenge. Um, when somebody insults me, my natural tendency is to, you know, want to bite back, want to be snarky back. <coughs> and um, Peter here is waving his finger and shaking his head at me. Um, <coughs> when Christ suffered, he did not threaten. He didn't threaten vengeance. He didn't say, you're going to get yours, Roman soldiers, for hanging me up on this cross. Didn't say that at all. But instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. This is what Peter was talking about in verse 19 of having a consciousness of God. We see Jesus here in the midst of everything that was going on. He entrusted himself to God. He entrusted everything about him in the midst of all of that suffering. <clears throat> I like my background music that's going on here. I know. <laughs> no, the bus driver. <clears throat> so, um, again, this is our calling. Our calling is to follow in Christ's example when we encounter suffering and when we do good. And Peter here is not explicitly saying this is suffering because we're Christians. This is suffering because we are doing what is good. We are doing what is right. We are living our lives in a way that we should, and we encounter suffering because Christ is our example. Christ suffered for you, and this is what you were called to do. And uh, researching uh, this, uh, this passage, um, Piper had preached on it several times, actually, but in one of his, he had a quote, how many of us live in the liberating knowledge that it is our calling our calling, our vocation to be misunderstood, criticized, ignored, and hurt for doing what is right and not to return hurt for hurt. How many of us live in the liberating knowledge that this is our calling? Do we find that liberating? Do we find the fact that we are called to endure suffering because Christ endured that suffering? Do we find that liberating? Do we find that encouraging? I know for me, just thinking through this, I've got so many flashbacks through recent times and throughout past history that I have had to just sit down and just repent of my attitude throughout different times in my life. And this isn't even suffering like Christ 
suffer. Christ is the Christ went through the ultimate act of suffering that we have not had to do. There are other believers and sisters around the world who do have to suffer like Christ suffered, where they are killed for their faith, where they are killed for doing what is right and doing what is good. They are thrown in prison. And by God's grace, that is not us here in this room today. But yet we still face trials of various kinds. Uh, James says, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials uh, of various kinds. And Peter is saying we endure those trials, we endure that grief, we endure that suffering with a consciousness of God. And then that is liberating because Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. As we endure that suffering, as we endure the grief, as we endure the hardship, and we look to Jesus Christ as our example to follow in his steps, we are reminded that Christ bore our sins, that Christ suffered in our place so that we wouldn't have to suffer. And therefore, we have now died to sins because just like Christ entrusted himself to the one who judges justly, We've entrusted ourselves to Christ that his promises are true, that what he did actually did accomplish our salvation. So we died to sins because of Christ, and now we can live for righteousness. So that righteousness that we can live for, we don't have to retaliate. We don't have to insult back. We don't have to seek vengeance. Paul writes in Romans, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We can trust that God will get the vengeance. That even though we are suffering right now, we don't have to retaliate. We don't have to respond in sin. We can live for righteousness because of Christ, because he was our example. And then even more comfort, by his wounds you have been healed. For Christ was beaten, Christ was bruised, Christ was tortured, and his wounds, through his wounds, we are healed. And the suffering that we are facing ultimately resort, results in, in our healing at the very end of it all. Further encouragement, for you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So we were lost. We were gone astray. We were like sheep who have no idea what's going on in the world. That is who we were. When we look out at the world, we see suffering. We see hurt relationships. We see broken families. We see people who are suffering because of parents, because of children, because of other family members. We see people suffering because of neighbors because of coworkers, because of things going on with governments and other things like that. And people, they are lost like sheep. They're going astray. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle that hurt and that grief and that suffering. They have no hope. The world says, look in at yourself. Look to yourself. Find your strength within. But there's nothing there. They're lost because 
I, see, I look at me and I see the grief, I see the hurt, I see the suffering. Where is the hope that's there? But Peter is saying, you have now returned to the shepherd. And we know that Christ is the good shepherd. And you have returned to the overseer. This is the same word that is used um, to describe elders and pastors and people who care for your souls. And this is something that is comforting. We know the parable of the shepherd that had a hundred sheep and one went astray. And so he left the 99 to go seek out the, the, the one. And that is a comforting thought that in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your heartache, in the midst of the pain that you are experiencing, you have a good shepherd. You have a good overseer of your soul who loves you, who cares for you, who is there with you, who seeks you out when you do go astray and he brings you back in to his comfort and his peace. And so we look to Christ. We don't look to the, su to, to the suffering that we are experiencing. Robert, I, I don't know if you planned it or not, but that last song that we sang, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And so we look down at our suffering and it's an inbred feedback loop that continues to drag us down. But we can look up to Christ and we can press on because of the hope that we have in him. Peter <coughs> begins um, his letter in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. You are being gu guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He begins his letter with this encouragement. You are being guarded by God's power. So as you encounter grief, as you encounter suffering, as you encounter trials of various kinds, you can endure. You can focus on the truth that Peter opens this up with, is that you have a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And then Peter concludes his letter in chapter 5, verse 10, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. And that is encouragement in the midst of that suffering that God will restore you. God will establish you. God will strengthen you. And he will support you through all of this. And even at the end of it all, God is there for you. And that gives us the strength and the courage to continue to press on in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our sorrows. So I want to conclude with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says about this passage, We are to be like the anvil. Let others strike us if they will. But we shall wear out the hammers 
if we only know how to stand and bear all that is put on upon us. So that is our calling. We are called to be the anvil. Let others hammer against us. Let the cruel masters beat us. Let other family members, they can hurt us, they can say things about us, but we will stand and endure because of Christ. And in the end, their hammers will break. Their words will be meaningless. They won't affect us because we have someone to look to. As the old hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. God, we rejoice that you in your wisdom sent your son to die for us, to suffer for us as our example. God, we ask that in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our sufferings, that you would remind us of Christ, that you would draw our attention to Christ, to look to Christ as our example of how we should act, how we should think, how we should respond. Father, that in the midst of those trials, that as we are enduring, as we are enduring with a consciousness of you and looking to you for our hope, that those around us would see that and question what is going on, and then that would drive them to the cross. God, just as Jesus Christ suffered for us, God, use our suffering for your glory to make the name of Christ known throughout the world. God, use our suffering to build our faith, to deepen our faith, to deepen our trust in you, Father. Might we be a people who glorify Christ in all that we say and do and all that we experience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.